Welcome. We are in the midst of a series on Sunday mornings in the book of First Peter. So if you turn to First Peter chapter 3 this morning, we're going to continue that series. But I also would like you, if you're following along and want to actually be in the scriptures we're going to be looking at this morning too, also mark Psalm 34 in your Bibles as well. So First Peter chapter 3 and Psalm 34. And we'll be going back and forth to those throughout the message, so keep your finger there. Because here's what happened to me these last couple of weeks. I had all intentions on taking in about eight or nine verses in 1 Peter 3 for this morning. And the more I got into it and the closer I got, I couldn't get past these couple of verses that basically is a quote of a portion of Psalm 34. So rich, so much in here. And and I want us to see this morning just this great gem of a passage of Scripture from different perspectives is sort of turning it like we would a, a diamond and seeing different facets of it. So I want us to begin this morning, first of all, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 10. And again, your Bible may, you even can see that this is now a quote from the Old Testament. Well, it's, it's a quote from Psalm 34. So Peter writes, For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil And his lips from uttering deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the Lord's face is against those who do evil. First of all, I want us to see... Why, in the context of what we've been talking about in 1 Peter, why does Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quote these verses out of Psalm 34? Well, remember, Peter's been talking to us about relationships with God, with each other. He's been talking to us about suffering, especially for doing good, and that we've been called to suffer. He's talking to us about following the the example of Christ and following in his steps and, and all of that. And so I think in the context, the reason why Peter places this here is for this reason. He's saying to us, have we really sort of settled Christ in our hearts? Have, have we really made him the priority of our lives? And are we plumbing the depths of who Jesus is, even as a Christian, to the point where we're not living as if we're missing anything? That's really important. See, I don't think God wants us as believers in Jesus Christ to have Christ in our life to live before others as if we're missing something. First of all, In the context, too, he's talking to us about being a witness for Jesus Christ in the world. 
What kind of witness are we when we go out there in the world to people that don't have a relationship with God and we still have God in our lives and we say, oh, I, I love God, I have God in my life, whatever. And yet our whole life looks as if we're pursuing all these things still, even though we've got Christ, because we're still missing something in our lives. How is it in relationships? Whenever we still feel like even though we have Christ, we're still missing something. Because what ends up happening then even in human relationships is we become takers rather than givers. If we always think like we're missing something or we're missing out on something, even in our relationships, then we're going to be looking more for what people can give us and what we can get out of them more than looking at what can we give to them and how can we encourage them. So I think that's why Peter places it in the context that he does. That he wants us as believers to understand we don't have to live one day of our lives with Christ thinking somehow or living as if we're missing something or missing out on something. Now keep your finger there because we're going to come back there and go back to Psalm 34. Because these three verses we just read are taken from Psalm 34. And I want to give you a little background of this psalm. And I'd even say this, I would encourage you to maybe for the next week, make it, a, make it a mini goal during your time with the Lord to read Psalm 34 one day for a week. Just saturate your mind with Psalm 34. It's a good psalm. A lot of good verses in this psalm. Let me share with you how this psalm was sort of born out of the heart of David. We all know pretty much the story of David, that as a young man, he slayed the giant Goliath and God was using him in a great way and he placed him into the, to the household and, of Saul and all that. And, and there was a time early on when David was a younger man where he had God in his life and he was living as if he wasn't missing anything. But again, like all of us, there can come a point in our walk with God where even though we have God in our lives, we can start to, to sort of give into the temptation of, say, Satan, who wants us to always think that even though we have God in our lives, we're still missing something. And so he can start to get us distracted and, and get us start to chasing all these different things instead of just sort of enjoying and plumbing the depths of our relationship with Christ, who is really our all in all. And we know that this is Satan's game because we can go all the way back to the book of Genesis and what's he do with Adam and Eve? He basically says, now I know God's given you the freedom and all of that over this whole garden, but yeah, but there's that one tree that you're, you're missing out. You're missing something here. And, and God's holding out on you, you see. And it was because they got to a point, even though they had walked with God in the garden and had perfect fellowship with God, they got to a point where they felt like, am I missing something even though I've got God? And I think that's why they partook of the fruit. So in this psalm, here's what happens. David comes to a place in his life where instead of living as if he's not missing something, he starts to live as if he's missing out on something. 
And because of that, fear starts to creep into his life and he starts to make choices and decisions that just aren't characteristic of the David we thought about when he was slaying giants and early on in his life. And he even gets to a point where he starts running from things rather than sort of running into things and letting God take him through things. So he runs to Gath, to the very town where Goliath came from. And oh, by the way, I don't know why David did this too, but when he runs to Gath, he takes Goliath's sword with him, as if that's not going to stand out. And when he gets there, obviously, he's noticed. Hey, I think this is the guy that killed Goliath. And now all of a sudden, he's, as we say, from the frying pan into the fire. And now he's wondering, am I going to get out of here alive? And this was a bad mistake. So what he does is, the Bible says he basically feigns being mad. Some of us don't have to fake that as much as others, but he fakes being crazy. And the king says, I got enough crazy people around me. I don't need one more. Get rid of this guy. And he escapes. Later on, as David is contemplating what happened in his life, he began to realize, why did I start living as if I was missing something when I have God in my life? And he recognized that even when he was living as if he was missing something, that God never turned his back on him and that God even, you know, worked it out that he allowed David to escape the hand of the king of Gath, even though at that point he wasn't really on top of things spiritually. And so he realizes that God's been good to him even when he hasn't been as faithful as he could be. And so he starts to just well up with praise for that kind of a God. And so in Psalm 34, the first 10 verses are really where David says to the people of God, rejoice with me over the God that we know in a personal way. And then in verse 11, through the rest of the Psalm, he basically tells God's people, now learn from me. Let me teach you what I've learned from really hard experience. I want to read this Psalm. Let's read it together. You follow along. David writes, I will praise the Lord at all times. My mouth will continually praise him. I will boast in the Lord. Let the oppressed hear and rejoice. Magnify the Lord with me. Let's praise his name together. I sought the Lord's help and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help are happy. Their faces are not ashamed. This oppressed man cried out and the Lord heard. He saved him from all his troubles. The Lord's angel camps around the Lord's loyal followers and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes shelter in him. Remain loyal to the Lord, you chosen people of his. For his loyal followers lack nothing. Even young lions sometimes lack food and are hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I want to stop there. I want to go back for a moment and look at verse 8. Where David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That word talks about personal experience. Now let me stop here for a moment. Sometimes as human beings, because we've never tried something or we've never experienced something, we don't know what we're missing. Okay? But obviously there are times in our life where 
we have tasted something or tried something or personally experienced something. And sort of, so we know the difference. Let me give you a personal lame illustration. Okay, it's the best I could come up with. I'm sorry. Back on the East Coast, where my family comes from, here's what Mexican food was. Mexican food was a Taco Bell. Now, please, I know some of you like Taco Bell. It's not anti-Taco Bell. I'm just saying, that's all we knew. All we knew back in the East Coast, at least where I grew up, was Mexican food equaled Taco Bell. Well, obviously, then we move out here to a place where, you know, you've got Mexican restaurants, and and then even better than that, you've got Mexican families who they know how to cook real Mexican food. And once you taste the real thing, you, you know the difference. And you go, my goodness, why would I ever settle for, say, this when I know I could have and I've experienced that? So keep that in mind when David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The word good here means better. In other words, in comparison to everything else, David is saying, if you really have personally experienced God in your life, if you know and you begin to plumb the depths of who God is in your life, why would you ever settle for anyone or anything else? Because don't you realize that once you have Christ... Once you have God, that anything or anyone or any other experience or whatever, you're not missing anything, David says. And he says, I'm sharing this with you from personal experience. Because I got to a bad place in my life where even though I had God, I thought I was missing something. And notice there in those last couple verses we read, he uses about the same phrase twice. He says, those who follow the Lord, they lack no good thing. They lack nothing. In other words, if we could just realize that what we have is all we need, and we begin to truly appropriate Christ into our life and enjoy Christ, the Christ that we already have, instead of living as if we've got God, but... I'm missing something. I got to do this and I got to run after this and I've got to capture that and I've got to go over here. And David is saying, oh, please taste and see that the Lord is good. Recognize that once you truly experience God, there is nothing that can compare to him. There's nothing that's better than our relationship with God. That's it. And once we have him then there should be no settling for anything less. There there should never be any going back. So now listen to the words of David after he says to God's people, rejoice with me. Now beginning in verse 11, he says, now listen or learn from me. He says, come children. A common way a teacher would talk in David's time. Listen to me. I will teach you what it means to fear the Lord. Do you want to really live? Now, here's where Peter starts to quote. Would you love to live a long, happy life? Then make sure you don't speak evil words or use deceptive speech. Turn away from evil and do what is right. Strive for peace and promote it. The Lord pays attention to the godly and hears their cry for help. But the Lord opposes evildoers and wipes out all memory of them from the earth. 
The godly cry out and the Lord hears. He saves them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He delivers those who are discouraged. The godly face many dangers, but the Lord saves them from each one of them. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil people self-destruct. Those who hate the godly are punished. The Lord rescues his servants. All who take shelter in him escape punishment. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. When Peter quotes these verses out of Psalm 34, he begins by saying, Who wants to love life? The word want is a really important word that we dare not pass over quickly. It's a complex word in the original language. And it starts with a deep desire. In other words, Peter is reminding us as human beings, it really does all start with what we really down deep desire above everything else. Because Peter understands. We as human beings, if we're honest, if we really want something, then usually we'll go to any length to get it. We'll make it happen somehow. We'll figure it out. In other words, we can say, well, I don't have time for this, or this isn't a priority for me. But what the Bible is pointing out to us, and what we need to really face up to is, we make time for the things that we really want to make time for. And the things that are really important to us And the things that we really desire, we find a way to somehow figure it out and experience. And it all starts with that desire, that want. And David then is basically saying, where's our want? And what's our want? And that desire then leads to begin to formulate in our thinking and in our mind ways of achieving our desire. We could call them goals. And then out of those goals, we begin to think about a a specific plan of action or multiple plans of action to realize our desires. It starts with our want. And so Peter is saying, we need to check our want. What do we really want out of life? That's important. Because even as Christians, like David and like Peter, and I think one of the reasons why Peter was quoting this is because Peter could identify with David that there was a time in Peter's life, like many of us, where we had God and God was enough. I tasted God. I knew I had come to the pinnacle. I knew I wasn't missing anything. I wasn't lacking anything. So therefore, I wasn't running after this and chasing after this. I was just learning to enjoy the God I already had and plumb the depths of Him in my life. But we either in our flesh or outwardly by being tempted by the tempter, we can get to a point where we start feeling like, I know I've got Christ, but man, I feel like I'm missing something. Maybe this is what it is. Or maybe I'm missing this. Maybe maybe if I go after that. And that's why many even Christians are so restless and so unstable and unsettled because 
They may have God truly in their life, but they've gotten to a place in their walk with God that even though they have God, now in their thinking, they're beginning to think they're missing something or missing out on something. And so they got to run there and there and everywhere. And Peter is saying that bad place that we can all find ourselves, I understand it. Because Peter said, man, when I was walking with Christ and it didn't get any better. All I wanted, remember when we were on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus was transfigured before Peter. He says, Jesus, can we just sort of, you know, make a permanent dwelling here and just stay here and praise you and hang out and, and talk about God and all that. No, he had to come down off the mountain. And when he came down off that mountain, there came a point where instead of Peter following the Lord closely, he started following Jesus from a distance. And he started feeling like he was missing out on something to the point where he even denied that he knew Jesus. So I think Peter says, I get it, guys. It all comes back to our want. What do we really want out of life? In our want or desire, is it that we want Christ and to know him more? Is that, is that our want? Or if we're honest, as we look in the mirror and begin to evaluate ourselves, is there more or something else that we really desire and want out of life? Because Peter's going to lay it all on the line here. He's going to say, you realize that the trajectory of our lives, the path that we take, the choices and decisions that we all make every day, every week, are really based on what we want out of life. What is our deepest desires? So he says, the one who loves life. Now, a couple other things. He says it not only starts with our want or desire, but it also starts with appreciating being alive. Just just the physical. Just appreciating being alive. He who wants to love life and see good days. And then, of course, he goes into all these behaviors that are pretty self-explanatory. That's why we're not going to spend a lot of time with them. We all know we need to watch our tongues and watch what we say more. We all know, based on what we've already learned about, we need to be peacemakers and seek peace rather than being troublemakers and even chase after peace and pursue it in our relationships and all that. And we all know that you know, if we want God's ear for our prayers and, and, and we want, you know, God's favor in our lives, we got to be obedient and, and do what he's asking us to do. Because Peter says, you, you realize his face is against those who do evil. And by the way, the word evil doesn't mean necessarily to be evil. It just means to do evil. And the word evil just means to do things that are damaging, destructive and troubling. So they're pretty self-explanatory. But what Peter is saying here is, and and David sort of said the same thing, do you really want to get the most out of life? Well, one of the things that starts with is really appreciating being alive every day. Squeezing every drop out of every day. That's really important. Because we all know the days can just go by. And all of a sudden, here's another day that I really didn't seize the day. I didn't get the most out of that day. And what the Bible says is, I can never go back. That day's gone forever. That's why I say to Christians, Christians, 
Don't let too many Sundays go by. There's only 52 in a whole year, and once those Sundays are gone, they're gone. You can never get those Sundays or Tuesdays back. You can never get that day back with the Lord. You can never get that time back with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Once it's gone, it's gone. And I don't know about you. And I realize I'm getting older. But it just seems like time just continues to go faster and faster. I mean, in my mind, we just got through the holidays, and yet we're now into March. And I'm going, where did January and February go? It just zoomed. And that's why I think the Bible says that one of the keys to truly loving life, the life that God gave me, is to learn to live every day to its fullest. To learn to squeeze out of every day every drop that that day will have for me. That's part of it. But the other part is even more important. Because the word for life that David and Peter both use here is not the Greek word bios where we get just physical life from. It is the Greek word zoe. It is a word that talks about the highest quality of life. It's the same concept that Jesus had when he said to his followers, I have come to give you abundant Life. That Greek word is the word parasos. It means remarkable, extraordinary life. That's what Jesus said. He said, I came not just to save you, not just to forgive you of your sin, not just to, you know, put you on your way to heaven. I came that you might begin to live in a remarkable, extraordinary way. And that you might have such a higher quality of life because you have me now in your life. Wow. Do we really as Christians appreciate that highest quality of life? Is that what we really want? Because again, remember the context. Peter's saying in your witnessing, in your relationships, in your suffering If our desire and want really isn't the highest quality of life, that remarkable, extraordinary life that can only come through walking through everything with Jesus in an intimate, personal way, then our witness isn't really going to be that effective. Because all the while we're out there going to people that don't know God, I love God. He's the most important thing in my life. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. And yet they're observing our lives and it's like, oh my goodness. They're doing this and they're doing it. And it's like they're never settled and they're restless all the time. It's like they act like they're missing a lot. They don't act like they're enjoying their God very much. It looks more like they maybe have God, but they need all these other things to make life worthwhile. And again, the same thing is true in our relationships, why they struggle. Because if we don't really believe that when we have Christ, we've got everything we need, and that he is the one that truly fulfills and satisfies us, then when we enter into relationships, we start looking for what people can get, give us and what we can get out of them rather than what we can give to them. And that's what makes relationships so yucky sometimes. Because God never designed it to be that way. He designed for it to be such 
that we found in him everything that we need. And when we tasted and saw that the Lord was better than anything or anyone else, any experience I could ever have, then I don't live one more day trying to look for that thing that's missing. Rather, I put all my energy and effort in enjoying what I already have. The one who wants to love life and see good days. Now, this is important too. Peter's saying, you want to see good days? The word good is really important. It means fulfilling, satisfying, a deep sense of well-being. Peter's saying, you want to, you want to have that in your life? Do you want to have a deep sense of well-being, fulfillment, and satisfaction? Then start enjoying the God you already have rather than living as if something's missing in your life when you have him. Wow. Simple, and yet profound all at the same time. Because again, it's so easy for all of us, whether we're Peter, whether we're David, to even have already tasted that oh my goodness, this is so much better than what that was. And still somehow to get to that crazy place in our life where even though we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we somehow start settling for what is less. Now, let me say this real quick. There are people out there that they don't know any different because they've never personally experienced it. They don't know what they're missing because they've never experienced it. Even Christians, they don't know what it's like to be part of a local church where they're really taught the word and grow and where they have meaningful relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ because they've never been part of a church like that. And if you start to invite them or talk to them about your church and the great experience you're having, they might even look at you as if you've got three heads. Don't, Don't take it personal. You and I have to realize, well, if they've never experienced this, Then just like, I don't know what that really, how good that was until I personally tasted it. And then I, oh my goodness, this tastes so much better. They don't really realize what they're missing until they experience it. And that's why you and I have to live in such a way where we're expressing and exhibiting to all people around us that once we found Jesus... That's it. I'm just enjoying Jesus. I got Jesus. I need nothing else. I didn't know really where I was going this morning. Millions of verses flooding into my head. So, you know what? We're going to go to another place right now. I want to take you back to the book of Philippians. Because you know what? David and Peter weren't the only ones that talked about this. Paul talks about this too. I want to begin in Philippians chapter 3. And I want to begin in verse 7. There's really no good place to begin in the middle of this chapter, but I'll begin in verse 7. I'll just say this. In the context, what Paul's talking about here is, all the earthly things that sort of 
you know, would have made him someone that seemingly had a good standing with God. And yet he came to a place in his life where he realized that all his stuff meant nothing. It wasn't anything that he could ever do or he ever did. It was learning to trust in what Christ had done. So that's, that's the context. So notice what Paul says here, Philippians 3, 7. He says, but these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. Now don't miss verse 8. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung that I may gain Christ. Verse 10. My aim, therefore, my desire, my want in life is to know him. Let me go back to verse 8. Don't miss what Paul's saying. First of all, he's saying... Anything compared to greater, getting to know Christ greater, is animal excrement. It's scat. It's dung. That's literally what the word means. In other words, Paul's making, building a great picture here. He's saying to every believer, picture yourself with, with a, a balance scale in front of you. And on one side of the balance scale is Jesus. Paul's saying, do you realize that no matter what you put on the other side of that balance scale, no matter what you put, and you can pile that thing up as high as you want to with all the other things and stuff, he said, do you realize it won't even come off the ground compared to Jesus? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I realized I had Jesus. I had Jesus. And now what I have learned to do, instead of feeling like I'm living, missing out on something, that my want to, my desire, is just to know Him. To gain Him. Folks, those words aren't speaking about working to to somehow achieve salvation. He already has Christ in His life. He's talking about appropriating Christ more in his life, plumbing the depths of who Christ is, enjoying who Christ is already, rather than feeling like I have Christ, but somehow I'm missing out on something. Let me even compare it this way. I'm not the best with illustrations, so thanks for bearing with me. But in my way of understanding, I think another thing that Paul's trying to say here is this. Compare knowing Christ and having a relationship with Christ as being given by God this great mansion with all these rooms. And in these rooms are different experiences plumbing the depths and wisdom and knowledge of Jesus and treasures that Jesus is. What he's saying is that the sad fact is that that many Christians, well, all Christians, true Christians, have been given this, this, great, this great mansion with all these different experiences that they could be having with Christ. All this wisdom and all this knowledge and all this treasure and all this great stuff. And yet, instead of going from room to room, 
and just continuing to unlock room after room and experiencing Christ to a greater level, they settle for just living in this one little space and experiencing this much of Christ. And they never go outside to truly gain Christ and to truly make it their want-to above all other want-tos in their life of knowing Christ. And the reason why that's so important, folks, is because if we don't make our aim to know Him, if we don't say with Paul, indeed, I regard all other things as liabilities and dung that I may gain Christ, if we don't look at life that way, even as Christians, then we will come very quickly to a place in, where li- in our lives where we think, well, I know I'm a Christian. I know my sins are forgiven. I know I'm on my way to heaven. But man, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm missing out on something. Maybe it'll be that that fills that void. Maybe when I do that or I get to that place, maybe, maybe that will give me the fulfillment and satisfaction. Maybe that will be what settles my soul. Maybe that's what will give me that deep sense of well-being that I've been searching for. And what God is saying through Peter, through David, and through Paul to all of us today is, folks, if you have Christ, the search should be over. If you have Christ, the search should be over. You are not missing anything. And you're not missing out on anything. The only thing that we need to concentrate our effort and energy into is now knowing Him. Unlocking all of those doors in that mansion we call a relationship with Christ and discovering the true riches that we have in Christ that we have not yet experienced. And that's why we think somehow we're missing something when we're not. He who wants to live life and see good days. He must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from uttering deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the Lord's face is against those who do evil. Four questions I leave with you today. What do we really want out of life? First question. Two, do we really appreciate being alive? Squeezing every moment and every drop out of every day. Three, do we appreciate the highest quality of life that comes through Christ? Do we really value that kind of life? Do we really prize it above all other life. And fourth, do we have a deep sense of well-being, fulfillment, and satisfaction in our lives? Peter, David, and Paul would all say, I've got the secret. I know what it is. It's for those of us who know Christ. It's beginning to enjoy him and know him and appropriate him and discover him. It's not living as if we're missing anything. Because if you've got Jesus, 
you need to hear one more time. You're not missing anything. Jesus is it. And I hope that settles your soul. You know, Nicole, we got a few extra minutes. So here's what I'm going to propose. The worship team's all like, they're on like pins and needles at this point. What's he going to do to us? I'd like us to come back and end with two songs today. Let's do that highest and greatest again. And then let's go right into it is well with my soul. Let's pray. God, I hope that this message today from your servant wasn't as scattered as it seemed to be to me. That though I know you placed a lot of scripture and thoughts into my heart and head these last couple of weeks, I hope in some way it came out somewhat clearly to those who were here today and who will hear this on podcast. Because Lord, most of all, I just want us all to remember, to realize, and to know once again that if we have Jesus, we have everything we'll ever need. We don't need to ever live one day or one hour or one minute of our time on this earth feeling as if we're missing out on something or missing something in our lives when we have Jesus Christ. As David said, those who are loyal followers of the Lord lack no good thing. God, help us to realize that even though the enemy will try to make us think that we're missing something or missing out on something, and even though our flesh has a real hard time of learning to be content and learning to be settled and rest in you, help our personal walk and relationship with you, Lord, override and overpower those temptations. Help us learn to just enjoy the Jesus we already have and to know that in you we have everything we'll ever need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.